Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number 85 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are honoring a legend. In case you haven't heard, Buster Posey, longtime Giants catcher who was in the squat with San Francisco for parts of 12 seasons, is calling it a career, finishes with 1,500 hits exactly, 158 homers, 302 lifetime average, 729 RBIs, I mean, we're not even through all of it. The MVP, the seven-time All-Star, the Gold Glove, the batting title, comeback player of the year, probably times two this season. He's got four silver sluggers. And then, of course, the three World Series rings. And to talk uh, to us about it today, we got Mark Willard, radio host for 95.7 The Game. He's the host of Willard and Dibs from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And you guys could follow him on Twitter at Mark underscore T underscore willard mark what's going on how you doing i'm doing great i'm i'm doing great excited to be here and chat it up you're you're right to use the word legend man he, he's a guy who he changed baseball in the bay area i don't think he's actually gotten enough credit for it yet when you think about it but um you know being a giants fan in 2009 is very different than being a giants fan now so he, he gets a lot of credit for that yeah no 100 percent. i mean it, it went from the uh, Barry Bonds era to a little bit of Lincecum, Eugenio Velez, and then Buster Posey. <laughs> so, no, I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit, but I, I do. Want, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, I do want to ask you, though, because there's some people that were that were shocked by this news and that he he is going to walk away. And the common theme was, you know, at his own, you know, kind of at his own. What is what, what, what were they saying? They were saying he's walking away at his own. uh God, why am I blanking on the words? On here? his own timing. On, on his, his own, own time. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Were you shocked like, by uh, this? What's up? Were you shocked by this? No, I wasn't shocked. Um, you know, a mild surprise, I guess, but more because he played so well this year. Um, and, you know, you, it's just not normal to see somebody uh, produce like that and then have the amount of money that was awaiting him. Uh, turn it down. We don't see people do that. But I also knew that that's Buster. You know, Buster's not somebody who's motivated by the dollar. He's got plenty of dollars for forever. Um, and so he's all set there. And and I just don't think that, I don't think we give enough uh, credit or acknowledgement to the toll that that position takes on the body, especially when you've had not just regular injuries but some major ones like he's had in his career and so the effort that it took to get back to this point uh proved that he could do it and he did um you know i think left him in a spot where um you know it was it was time to think about it you know i mean the contract was kind of up you got an option year but he also had a chance to sort of taste what retired life might be like by opting out last year and so what i found interesting was not that he's retiring it's that he was actually thinking of retiring before the year even started um he was always going to play but he admitted right away that the thought going in was this will be my last year and then we'll see if the playing process changes my mind and, and he said it never really did um so it is it is a little surprising to me that he went into the year 
already thinking about retirement and then played so well and had such an unbelievable team experience too. And that still didn't change his mind, but it, it speaks to who Buster is and what his priorities are. No, hundred percent. And, and hit had a, uh, 889 OPS in 2021. And just a guy who continuously said that this was the best group that he's been with, even through those championship years and the clubhouse was a lot of fun and, but he was still set on retiring. You mentioned the dollars and I want to get back to that for a second, the dollars, I mean, in 2020, and I mean, you had to imagine, I mean, it was just a few days ago that Farhan Zaidi was at a press conference in front of a microphone talking about how they were going to pick up his option for $22 million. So that's, you know, 30, $35 million the last three years that he's left on the table. And it, it does kind of show what kind of, um, you know, what, what kind of, where his priorities are and where his fam, uh, where he's at in his family life and, and everything that goes on. Um, I, I do want to ask about the legacy of Buster Posey and, and, you know, he, he was, he's a very humble guy, so he's not going to answer this directly in terms of his on the field legacy. Uh, he mentioned that his legacy, he wants it to be faith family and then everything else kind of, you know, goes around that. But in terms of, baseball legacy for Buster Posey. And I think this is the question that we've been hearing over the last 48 hours. Where do you think he stands in terms of baseball greats? I, we know where he stands in terms of Giants greats, but what will Buster Posey's legacy be on the baseball field? Well, I think he was, uh, you know, it's, it's a very unique sort of story because he's not a transcendent player um, from the standpoint of the, the rest of the country. He's not, um, he's not someone whose story is known in New York um, or, or, or Chicago. Um, however, there's a couple of things that really stand out about him to me. And number one, it is just the timing. Buster's such a throwback uh, to be a baseball player from essentially 2010 to 2020 at a time where you're sort of required to be a little bit more bombastic, uh, be really out there on social media in order to pop and resonate with fans. Um, here's this guy who defined himself uh, by, uh, by being a dad, being a very, very quiet, understated leader, uh, being very successful, but um, just kind of cruising with that and then raising money for pediatric cancer. I mean, that's, that's what clearly mattered to him. And so to resonate with fans and, and have the success he did at this time in the world is interesting to me because I can't really think of too many others who, uh, who can say that. And then the other thing that resonates with, with, with him for me is that Buster Posey, this is how he was transcended. He's not well known necessarily like a Bryce Harper However, he's one of the few athletes I've ever seen where even the road fans, even the fans of the rival team sort of have to shrug their shoulders and just go and give respect, you know, because there's just nothing to pick at there. You can't hate Buster Posey. And I, and I know this because I spent so much time in my career in Los Angeles and raised kids in Los Angeles and took them to Dodger games in Buster Posey jerseys all the time. And the reaction that you would get in a Posey jersey is very different than any other athlete. And, in, and for sure, 
the era that came before him, which was the Bonds era. Uh, that's an example of the easiest person to boo if you're a Dodger fan, the easiest person to dislike. Buster, you wear a jersey for Buster at Dodger Stadium, you'd get a lot of people that would just be like, they would nod, just be like, can't, I can't say anything about that. Um, and it's his position, it's his workmanlike attitude, it's his understated way, it's his priority being in, in, in the same spot that, that it is for so many of us, our, our family, whether it's our faith, our home life. He really, really has always had the ability to keep his eyes on the prize, stay completely out of trouble. And so even if you hate the Giants, you don't hate Buster Posey. That, that for me is something that will stick. There's no, there's never any controversy around Buster Posey. He's never a guy that was ever in the headlines for anything. I mean, the only thing that I can think of, and honestly, in my opinion, he's justified for it. It was not going out and defending Hunter Strickland when Bryce Harper charged the mound. That was always one that kind of sticks out, but um, that that's a whole different conversation. But I do want to talk about, uh, you mentioned he's transcendent. And from 2010 to 2021, a lot in baseball changed in terms of, you know, when he first came up, you, you didn't have the, the spicy bullpens with guys throwing, you know, five guys in a row coming out and throwing a hundred with wipeout sliders. I mean, back then you used to want to get to the bullpen and you used to want to knock the starter out of the game. And, you know, and then also 2021, you got the cue cards as a catcher. And, and you mentioned how there's nothing that compares to being a catcher in any pro sports. It's a position where you need, intelligence you need athleticism and even through these these you know these kind of adjustment period this adjustment period that the game has gone through even with the home runs Buster Posey adjusted we saw him in 2021 with his swing kind of revamped started standing more upright talked about changing his his approach a little bit to catch up to velocity up in the zone so he kind of kept up with the Joneses in a sense well, I mean, it, it was to me what defined the entire 2021 Giants season, which was uh, teaching old dogs new tricks, if you will. Um, we started the season at a spot where the fan base was completely done with with uh, Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt and to a degree Buster Posey. But that one was a little different because people I just didn't I don't I don't think they knew what to expect. I don't I don't think they wanted to have expectations. They didn't want to see Buster come back and not look like Buster Posey. But then he came back and he did look like Buster Posey and the Brandons look like the best versions of themselves ever. And so this particular Giants team, this staff deserves a ton of credit for the process that they use and how they teach it. But those guys, uh, namely Buster, really also deserve a lot of credit for having an open mind, because when you've achieved in the game what they've achieved, especially Buster, when you've been an MVP, when you've got a batting title, when you've been a rookie of the year, when you're going to be a Hall of Famer, um, I would think it's a little harder to have people say, hey, why don't we try it this way? You kind of, I would be, you know, I would think most people in that position would be like, no, I, I think I got this. I think I know what I'm doing. And so that openness to learn and change later in their career is very, very impressive. I think it speaks to humility. I think it speaks to competitiveness. Um, I, I think it speaks to community. Um, these, these things are all characteristics that come from watching guys in their 30s who all have championships uh, sit down with people and say, no, let's, yeah, let's, let's see how you want to do it and let's see if it works and see if it leads to a better me. 
And uh, in each of those cases this year, it did. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. 12 years of Buster Posey. I mean, there's got to be a moment that stands out a little bit. I'll give you mine. So I'll give you some time to think about it here. I'll give you mine. And it's an obvious one. It's got to be the Grand Slam in Cincinnati. I mean, it has to be. Game five, that was such a stressful kind of first two rounds in the postseason. And it, you know, it, it honestly was the opposite in the World Series when they got there uh, against the Tigers. And the Tigers had a week off and they were rusty and the Giants swept them in four games. But those first two series, the Giants had to go all in. And Buster Posey, who really wasn't hitting down the stretch there, wasn't hitting in that series up until that point, stepped up against Matt Latos, who Giants fans, I know they love so much. Mm. Um, and by the way, Matt Latos, infamous for breaking Dave Fleming's sunroof by throwing a baseball Correct. over the uh, over the bleachers. So, story. Uh, yes, and signed a baseball, I hate SF. Um, so, yeah, Matt Latos, infamous in his own way. But Buster Posey tagged him, big home run. And honestly, that was a dagger in that entire series. What was kind of your favorite Buster moment? I mean, that, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the same thing as far as the first thing that sort of stands out. I mean, there's so, so, so many um, moments through the years that, that stand out. Um, and maybe there's some recency bias here. And even though the series didn't go well, um, you know, the homer in, in game one against the Dodgers this year was a moment. Uh, my underrated moment that I always bring up was his first swing of the year this year. Because if you really bring the context into it on opening night in Seattle, batting seventh, you know, here comes Buster Posey out to the plate. We haven't seen him in two seasons. Um, nobody's expecting anything. In fact, a lot of people are saying he's washed and he's done. And, um, you know, the signature right center field home run uh, wasn't even what he did there. Like he yanked it. I mean, first swing of the year. And that was the real thing because all of a sudden you're going, hold on a second. It wasn't just that he homered. It was that he immediately did something that you knew his body couldn't do for the last two and a half years. Uh, he could not turn on a fastball like that for two and a half years. To do that with his very first swing back, I thought was a tone setter, a message, a message to everybody that, um, that maybe this year is going to be some things that you didn't think it was going to be. And even though they totally coughed that game up late and, and uh, you know, was a frustrating loss. Uh, my gosh, that swing was a microcosm of the entire season, which is that the giants were the best home run hitting team in the league and um, in a pitcher's park and their old guys were going to produce at all-star levels. I mean, incredible, just an incredible moment. But the, the Grand Slam in Cincinnati is obviously his baseball signature moment. It's one of those moments where you don't forget where you were. I was in the control room of ESPN 710 down in Los Angeles. And so needless to say, I went on a celebration lap through the radio station by myself. Uh, there was nobody else in Los Angeles who was celebrating like I was in that moment. But um, yeah, a series that that had been considered lost uh, down to nothing down a run in the last inning in game three. And then all the work that it takes to get to a game five, what an emotional release that was when he, when he takes that swing, it just all of the emotion and stress of that week flows right out of your body. 
And, uh, and you know that the, you know, the Giants are highly, highly likely in that moment. I know it got a little tense in the end of that game too, but in that moment, it felt like they did it. They did it and they're moving on to the next round. And Sergio Romo had the had the uh, the big battle against Jay Bruce and ended up yep. getting Scott Rowland and yep. well it was it was Giants baseball so they always had to make it interesting. Yeah, no doubt. And you're gonna hate me when I say this, but I was in a fifth grade lunchroom when Posey hit the Grand Slam. So <laughs> watching I, I was, live in the lunchroom, watching live in the lunchroom, Buster Posey. See, that's what slam. we need to bring back. We need to bring that back. When I was a kid. Um, like, you know, my big playoff moment when I was a kid was in 1989, uh, when Will Clark hit a two run single in the bottom of the eighth inning against the Chicago Cubs in game five of the NLCS. And back then, um, that NLCS was not played. There weren't all at five o'clock that NLCS was played during the work day. Uh, if you can imagine that. And, um, and back then you used to get to be able to see that stuff. And like the teacher would turn it on. Teacher would turn it on in school. If you were in a Bay area school and the giants were one went away from going to the world series for the, you know, for the first time. And I don't know, remember how many years it had been, but really for the, you know, for the San Francisco giants, not something that they had really experienced. And so, you know, up three games to one in the series, one, one tie, eighth inning, Wild thing, Mitch Williams on the hill, bases loaded, long at bat with a lot of foul balls with Vin Scully on the mic. And Will Clark wraps one up the middle to make it three to one. And, you know, about 20 minutes later, they're on their way to the World Series. And, um, you know, we got to see it. Um, and, and I, you know, I know there aren't games on like that now in the middle of the school day anymore. But, um, yeah, I wish, uh, I, I wish, I wish we could do more to keep, you know, everyone talks in baseball about getting the young fans involved. Well, it's like maybe we maybe we think about them a little bit more with the way that that we broadcast and, and deliver baseball instead of having these games that end up going till you know, 10 o'clock at night or whatever. It seems like a change.org thing. You know, we yeah. could we could yeah, start exactly. that. <laughs> we'll get a text message soon. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And um, I this is one thing that always comes up when guys retire and it came up in a big way when Buster Posey called it quits here and it's the hall of fame. And it's, it's unfortunate that that's the debate that we go into right away, but it is in a sense fun to kind of reflect and, you know, consider him for that for sure. Um, and there is the debate right now and it's going to continue for the next five, six years until he ends up on the ballot. And it's going to amplify even more when, you know, if, if there's a scenario where he doesn't get it in the first ballot and he's on the ballot the next year, next to Yadier Molina, his counterpart, um, in the, in terms of catching this quarter, this century, since the turn of the century, they've been the two best. And I have a stat here just real quick that I, that I pulled up, um, that I, I was doing some digging in fan graphs. And I'm sure when, you know, as you know, if, if you get in one of those fan graphs and baseball reference, uh, holes, it's impossible to get out of them. Like really it's impossible. So I was down a big one last night and I found this one. And I tweeted it out. I said, since the turn of the century, Posey has been baseball's best catcher, according to Fangraph's war, edging out Molina by probably about, you know, one wins above replacement, whatever you want to call it, one war. I don't know how that works. Um, and he was 13th in games played during that span. And then also he played less. He played uh, in 100 or I'm mixing my words here. He played in 775 less games than Molina. So that's like, you know, I did the math. 
about four to six years worth of games for a catcher. Uh, he might not have the longevity that Molina had, but throughout his career, he was the best and he was the most productive at his position. And this is even crazier. Since 2010, the leader in Fangraphs war is obviously Mike Trout, and he takes it by a large margin. But the second most productive player, according to Fangraphs war in that time, Buster Posey, second among wow. all position players. Yeah. That's And he missed, he played about 45 games in 2011 and missed all of 2020. And he's second in all of baseball in Fangraphs war. So, I mean, I, I that's incredible. Yeah, I wonder what this is going to look like in five years because I don't actually think it's debatable at all. Me neither. I, I think, in fact, I, I think that if you don't think Buster Posey goes in the hall, you don't really understand what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, too many people, way too many people, and the Hall of Fame voting process is broken on many, many levels. Too many people just pull numbers. And you just went on a numbers dive and the numbers are there. But even if they weren't fully there, who said that that's the only thing we can look at? Um, Buster Posey, as I said, changed baseball in the Bay Area forever with one of the flagship franchises in the game and brought that franchise into a completely different era and talking uh, point uh, with regard to the fact that they've won three world championships and, and they don't win them without him. They, they don't. Um, the pitchers who are attached to his legacy, Bumgarner, Linsicum, Kane, the perfect game. Um, he's got an MVP. He's got a batting title. He was the rookie of the year. He, he has done everything. And he is everything that you could ever want a ball player to be. And we bring up things like the word longevity, which is not fair because we'll, we'll hang the exact same longevity expectations around a catcher that we do around a center fielder mm-hmm. and a catcher cannot play 20 years. The body can't handle it. Um, he's been through major injuries and found his way back to productivity. Um, the whole idea of, the hall of fame needs to sort of be, in my opinion, uh, adjusted um, because we get very robotic, very formulaic. And the other thing we do, and I've already had conversations with people who did this where they're like, yep, I think he's a hall of famer, but not a first ballot hall of famer. He's a second or third ballot hall of Famer." Oh, the stupid and it's argument. like <laughs> that, that, that whole thing has got to stop. You, you, you cannot, hold it against someone because you think that they are like an Uber hall of famer versus, or an obvious one, you know, Derek Jeter, even though there was one moron who decided not to vote for Derek. Like if you know, someone's a hall of famer, well, that makes them a first ballot one. But if it's sort of like a gray area, let's make them wait. You've got five years to think about this. I don't think you need more than five minutes, but you got five years to think about this. And if you come to the conclusion that he's a Hall of Famer and 70% of you should, then um, vote for him. Vote for him right away. Get this you know, ridiculous idea of you can only vote for a certain number of people. If you're deserving, you're deserving. And you should be ready to go whenever everybody decides uh, that, that you're deserving. And to me, he is a complete and total no-brainer.
a hundred percent and you're either a hall of fame or you're not. And that's why the, uh, the, the people that say second or he's a second ballot hall of famer, third, you know, ballot hall of famer. It, it just doesn't work. The argument just does not work. And, and Buster no. Posey, I think is meant a lot, like you said, to San Francisco into the game of baseball. Um, he'll be in, I, I do think that he'll be in. Um, I think Molina will be in. I think both guys are well-deserving and I don't think there's a really need to debate between the two of them. Um, now, I guess we, we flip the page a little bit here. Uh, and and I, I mean, there's, there's the assumption here and it, it's probably a little bit more than the assumption that, that Joey Bart is going to get the first snatch at this starting catching spot. And we saw him kind of a little overwhelmed in 2020 with, you know, handling a pitching staff and, you know, handling big league pitching. And I, if I, if I'm not mistaken, he was hitting the ball hard. It's just, he, he was getting a little unlucky at times and he didn't have the power numbers. He didn't have a home run. So, I mean, everybody's freaking out about that, but I think he had a great year in AAA this year. And when he's healthy, it seems like he's a pretty legitimate prospect. So what are kind of your, uh, your projections, or I wouldn't say projections, I guess maybe hopes, for Joey Bart, what do you expect out of him this season, uh, this upcoming season with kind of a, a pitching staff that we don't know what it's going to look like next year with most of the uh, starting pitchers as free agents? So what are kind of your expectations for Joey Bart in 2022? Well, I expected him to be on the Giants in 2022, the big club. Um, but I expected Buster Posey to be there kind of holding his hand. And because of the emergence of the DH being so likely, in the new collective bargaining agreement. Um, I thought the Giants would have room for both of those guys and both of those bats in, in the lineup. Farhan Zadi said after the Buster Posey press conference that uh, he, I mean, he confirmed that plan A is Joey Bart and that they are going to tender a contract to Kirk Casale. And Casale can be the one who holds his hand. And I, as a Giant fan, I'd be comfortable with that. He's a very, very smart backstop. And to be honest with you, that's the side of this that no one will talk about that actually matters more. The questions I have about Joey Barter, about his defense, about who he is as a catcher, um, about can he fit into the plan that Gabe Kapler's staff has as far as how they receive the ball um, and, and how they throw out runners at second base or whatnot. So like, how has he developed over the last year and a half as a catcher is my biggest question. I think the bat will be there. I don't know if this is ever a 300 hitter, but I think he can be a 250 hitter with a lot of power. And therefore, um, you know, at the catcher position, that that plays. Um, but we'll see. Um, yeah, Farhan says that's that's plan A. I, I, I see no reason not to believe it. Um, but I also think they'll be ready for Joey to hit some bumps in the road and they'll have some other options available to them if, if that's the case. So Joey gets the first crack. I'd expect him to be ready to roll next year. Uh, but my questions are much more on the defensive side than the offense. And cue the endless promotions with the Bart train. Oh, I mean, it's so easy. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing is um, it's great for people like me, um, you know, who, uh, who, who love to have all kinds of fun with it. I, I would hope if I was an ad exec uh, with Bay Area Rapid Transit, I would be on the phone with his agent already today, uh, you know, to see if he could be a pitch man 
um, for, for something uh, regarding BART. I don't know if BART's doing any advertising, but whatever. Uh, but it's great. It, it's great if you've got, you know, a Bay Area athlete who can, who can grow into his own and have some sort of a quirky, uh, a quirky play on words, kind of a tie to, uh, to something that is so quintessentially San Francisco. Um, that'll be, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun for all of us. He's going to get sick of it, but it's going to be fun for the rest of us. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, one thing about his defense is that he was calling games at Georgia Tech and nobody did that in college. Nobody called games in college. And it's kind of something that uh, it's, you know, it's a tradition, not a tradition, but it's it's common that you go into pro ball without any experience calling pitches. And, and he's got that under his belt. Um, yeah. Before I let you go, Mark, I, I do want to ask, you just made the transition to 95-7 the game. You went from nights to kind of mornings. How's the the first few weeks been? Uh, it's been fantastic. I mean, it's, uh, it's obviously a very, very different and, and new, uh, kind of challenge for me. I, um, I was so, so, so blessed to come home to the Bay area and get to work at KNBR. It had been a, uh, it had been a personal goal of mine for a long time. And so to, to get to the point where I was able to do that was fantastic um and everything with you know my departure there was was uh was very friendly and amicable and and it was simply about um uh you know a new kind of uh challenge and opportunity uh that also fit perfectly with the the timing in in my life and so you know to be able to do something with Dan Dibley who has been a friend for a really long time um but, you know, have that sort of different tone that gets created on a show when you can have uh, two people uh, sharing some things and some laughs as opposed to the solo show that I was doing before was attractive. Um, and, you know, doing uh, doing something uh, earlier in the day. I'm actually a morning person. Um, so it was always funny when, when you know, Cambiar called me the voice of the night. It always resonated in my ear in a funny way because I'm, I'm very, very much a morning person. And so, uh, so to get up and get to do some things right out of the gate to start the day and, uh, and to do that while my kids are at school so I can, uh, I can spend more time with them in the evening has all been a really, really good, um, you know, good new development in my life. And Dibs is, is funnier than Dave Chappelle. Is that right? Well, uh, he was he was hoping so. I don't know if I would put that label on him yet, but he's pretty freaking funny. Um, I will say that that yeah, over this last month or so of getting started, we have laughed a lot. We have laughed a lot, and my gosh, the world misses that right now so much. And so that's that's been uh, it's been a great great thing. That's awesome. Great to know. Great to hear that you're doing well, Mark. And I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, man. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening, guys. Oh, I just said guys twice. Well, I guess I'm going to have to redo that. Thank you guys for listening uh, to RizzoCast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, um, wherever you find your podcasts. Of course, you guys can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore T underscore Willard. Catch him on 95.7 The Game with Dan Dibley from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on weekdays. And follow me on Twitter, I guess, too, at Stephen Risotto, S-T-E-V-N-R-I-S-S-O-T-T-O. Kind of like the rice, but I got an extra S in there. Thank you guys for listening and have a great day.